Housing costs drove inflation up higher than expected to start off the year. So when might the housing market become more affordable? I'm Veronica Dudo. Let's find out. This is In America Today from the Ticker News Studios in New York City. Hello and welcome. Coming up, U.S. President Joe Biden says the United States is pushing for a six-week pause in the fighting between Israel and Hamas in Gaza. But first... Inflation rose more than expected in January thanks to a jump in grocery and housing costs underscoring the challenge of taming price pressures within the economy. The report out from the U.S. Labor Department has dashed expectations for a small decline to begin in 2024. For more, we're joined by Tom Hutchins, the Executive Vice President of Production at Angel Oak Mortgage Solutions. Hi, Tom. Thanks so much for joining us today. Great to be here. Thank you. So first, what are your top line thoughts on the newly released January CPI numbers? Well, I think everybody was uh, very aggressively expecting, hopefully expecting uh, a lot of rate decreases and for those cuts to start happening soon. And with today's numbers, it looks like that uh, is going to probably be delayed just a bit. Some of the current trends in the U.S. real estate market in 2024 that you're seeing, and how do they compare to previous years? Well, it's U.S. real estate. The story is is a three-year-old story, and really what's happened with the Fed raising rates so quickly as they did two years ago in the beginning of 2022, um, it's really kind of frozen uh, a lot of housing trends, a lot of transactions, and uh, you know, once they start cutting rates again, I, I believe that's going to uh, br- bring real estate back into more normalized levels. Are we seeing a shift towards buyers or sellers? And what factors do you think are driving these trends? Well, I, I think it's been in nobody's advantage in the current the, the current cycle because sellers, you would call it a seller's market, but sellers just aren't selling because then they become a buyer. Uh, because the the difference between uh, having a two and a half percent mortgage and you know a six and a half to seven percent mortgage today, there's not a lot of incentive for sellers to, to actually sell their property. So there's really no advantage on one one side of the coin. But um, you know, one, once rates do come down, I feel like it is will be more normalized, and and we'll see the you know a proper supply of housing. That's absolutely having a huge impact on the market. How are changes in interest rates affecting the U.S. housing market this year? And can you discuss the correlation between interest rates, mortgage applications, and home affordability? Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I think one of the Fed's goals when they raised rates so so much and so quickly was to tamper uh, housing appreciation because ha- home price appreciation had been soaring uh, after COVID and the, the very low interest rates that we had. But what has happened is it really hasn't dampened the the, the prices uh, of the of the real estate. It's just really dried up the supply. So um, I think really what we're looking for now is that once interest rates hit a certain level, we don't know exactly what level that is, but I would say once interest rates are are under six, I believe that's going to start to get people buying and selling in a normal normal fashion once again. 
What is your analysis of the current supply and demand dynamics in the U.S. housing market, and how are these factors influencing home prices and inventory levels across so many different regions? Uh, well, they're, they're absolutely at record lows, the supply side. So that, that's really been the number one hindrance of, of activity is that there's just not enough houses for sale. But, you know, I would say demand is there, demand is strong, but it'll be even stronger once interest rates are normalized and, and stabilized and, and just, you know, these, these cuts that the, everyone's anticipating from the Fed begin to occur. So that is definitely uh, the hope from everybody involved. But you know, so far, based on current data and trends, what are your predictions for the U.S. real estate market for the remainder of 2024? Well, we're seeing a lot of activity even now. Even with you know, rates have been this high now, coming up on two years. So we're seeing a lot more activity. One thing that I would tell if, if any of your your viewers are are holding off, I think that's not the, the best strategy right now because once if you if you can afford a house in today's market with today's rates, I would highly recommend becoming a buyer and, and becoming active to find that property because what's going to happen is once rates do come down, that's going to stimulate uh, properties and sales and and the inventory, but it's really going to, I think it's going to be the next driver of home price appreciation because there's going to be so many more buyers in the market. Uh, so what I would recommend, get in the market. If you can afford to uh, find a house and afford it at today's levels, do that. And also know that the mortgage itself, that's temporary. We, you know, Americans, we do a lot of refinances. So if you get a, a you know, a high rate now, but the rates drop in three months, it's a very easy process to refinance into a, a lower rate with a lower payment, assuming you can afford that original interest rate and payment. So the rates could drop, but that uh, original payment uh, price of the home wouldn't. Very interesting. So could you identify any emerging hotspots or even cold spots in U.S. Uh, real estate market right now? There's, there's not a lot of hot or cold, quite frankly. I think what is going to evolve, though, is we're starting to see some unemployment figures in, in some highly populated areas, California, New York, New Jersey, Illinois. And, and when unemployment starts to rise, that will have a, a direct impact on housing. So it hasn't really developed yet because employment has been strong, generally speaking. Uh, but, you know, inflation coupled with high high unemployment is going to be an, have an impact uh, from a real estate perspective, for sure, in certain, certain markets. We just haven't seen that really become a big factor in, in many. So we see a lot of focus on millennials and, of course, Gen Z. And we also keep hearing about doom spending, where a lot of them feel that the American dream is potentially out of their reach. How does that factor into all of this, especially uh, when people are thinking about the potential that they could buy houses, but now they have this attitude where they're not really seeing, you know, a viable path? Well, I, you know, I, I would say uh, home ownership in America is, is the number one wealth building factor uh, that there is. So it, it's kind of like uh, trying to time the stock market. A lot of people see a stock that goes up and they're like, well, I've missed, missed the boat. So they don't so they don't participate. But then the stock ends up you know, going up again over the next 
two to three years. So, I, you know, it's very similar in in, uh, in real estate. So I would encourage anyone who's on the sidelines and think they missed the boat. That's just not traditionally how it happens uh, in, in real estate in the U.S. So I would encourage those. There's some creative products out there. Uh, you know, they're self-employed. If, if someone's self-employed and maybe has a more difficult time documenting their income, there are products and programs specific to the self-employed borrower. So I would really encourage people to, to find, you know, to find a, a mortgage broker or a loan originator and, and speak to that person on different ways and different products that might help them get into these houses that, that perhaps cost more than they were expecting. Tom Hutchin, thanks so much for the great conversation. Thank you. U.S. President Joe Biden says the United States is pushing for a six-week pause in the fighting between Israel and Hamas in Gaza. He says he hopes the proposal will serve as a stepping stone towards a longer ceasefire. They need to be protected. U.S. President Joe Biden on Monday stressed the need to protect innocent civilians in Gaza after scores of Palestinians were killed in the southern city of Rafah during an Israeli military operation that freed two hostages held by Hamas. The speech alongside Jordan's King Abdullah at the White House comes as Biden has become increasingly vocal in his demand that Israel not undertake a ground offensive in Rafah without a plan that protects Palestinian civilians. Major military operation in Rafah should not proceed without a credible plan, a credible plan for ensuring the safety and support of more than one million people sheltering there. Many people there have been displaced, displaced multiple times, fleeing the violence to the north, and now they're packed into Rafah. Biden, who has shown increasing exasperation with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu for not heeding his advice, said he and allies in the region were working, quote, day and night on a deal to pause fighting, allow hostages to be freed, and increase the flow of humanitarian assistance to Gaza. The United States is working on a hostage deal between Israel and Hamas, which would bring an immediate and sustained period of calm to Gaza for at least six weeks. Sources familiar with the talks told Reuters that senior officials from the U.S., Egypt, Israel and Qatar were expected to resume negotiations on Tuesday in Cairo to work on a three-phase deal framework to release hostages and achieve an extended pause. We are still focused on trying to get an extended humanitarian pause. White House National Security Spokesperson John Kirby told reporters that some progress had been made in negotiations toward a pause in fighting, but that more work was still needed to be done. The intensifying conflict in Rafah fueled concerns that an Israeli offensive on the southernmost pocket of Gaza could derail the hostage talks, but a U.S. official told Reuters the airstrikes in Rafah should not affect the negotiations toward a deal between Israel and Hamas, on the release of hostages. It is not our assessment that this airstrike is the launch of a full-scale offensive. State Department spokesperson Matthew Miller said the U.S. did not think the Israeli airstrikes in Rafah were the start of a full-scale military operation in the southern Gaza city, and that without a credible plan that Israel can execute, Washington would not support one. Former President Donald Trump has asked the U.S. Supreme Court to extend the delay in the trial stemming from special counsel Jack Smith's 2020 election interference case, arguing that he has presidential immunity to protect him from prosecution. Donald Trump on Monday asked the U.S. Supreme Court to intervene in the ruling that denies him absolute immunity. 
He's asking for a pause on a judicial decision, rejecting his claim he's immune from being prosecuted for trying to overturn his loss in the 2020 election. And I feel that as a president, you have to have immunity. Very simple. Trump's lawyers argued in a brief to the Supreme Court that without such a shield, the presidency as we know it will cease to exist. As Trump runs for re-election, his legal team are trying to get an appeals court in Washington, D.C. that rejected his claims of immunity in the federal criminal case against him. They want the court's full slate of judges involved rather than just a three-judge panel that made the ruling. And now they want the Supreme Court justices to pause the criminal trial proceedings while they make their case. In their brief, the lawyers painted a dark picture of what would befall future presidents if Trump's criminal prosecution is allowed to proceed, repeating warnings that have failed in other courts so far. They said, quote, the threat of prosecution will become a political cudgel used to influence the most sensitive and important presidential decisions with the menace of personal vulnerability. Stay with us. More ticker coming.